and hello once again, far and wide, all across the big footprint. This is the Rural Radio Network, and it's the midday program on said network. How you doing today? We have the roundtable underway for this, Nebraska's primary election for 2018, and we've been kind of taking a poll just to see if uh, we have got out there and cast our votes yet. Susan Littlefield, have you hit the polls yet? I will hit the polls at 4 o'clock this afternoon. Okay. All right. Jason Jorgensen. Probably later on. I like it when I go to my polling place. They know me by name. (laughs) Yep. I'm sure it's the same with Susan. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They know exactly what ballot to hand you, too, I should think. It's like, why are you having me sign in? You know who I am. But I know it's formality. I know. And Bob Brogan, you voted early, right? Yes, I uh, voted early. No, I'll, I'll vote early and often as soon as I get off here. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Okay, I guess that reveals my party affiliation, <laughs> huh? All right, well, uh, Susan Littlefield, tell us what the ag folks are up to today. We've got a lot of things happening. The 17th Annual Nebraska Auctioneers Association and Convention is coming up this weekend. That's going to take place in Kearney. We'll get more from Clay with Miles Marshall, the current president, as they talk about this weekend's events. Here's something pretty cool. Alex catches up with Canadian Dylan Scher who has had no agricultural background until he attended college, and he produced a documentary, Before the Plate, visiting with farmers and ranchers to learn more about the journey for food that ends up on the, from the producers to the table that you're going to be eating dinner at. And then, of course, I will have it coming up at 117. The chairman-elect of the Nebraska Bankers Association talks about how a pig check led him to the world of banking. So we'll have more on that from the farm team. Pig check? Yep, a check for some pigs that he raised. Oh, I got it. Okay, led I, I understand. Him, yeah, yeah. Oink, oink, check. Okay. Led him to the world of banking. Right. Yeah, exactly. Put the piggy bank. I appreciate it. Okay, thanks very much, Susan. And uh, Jason Jorgens is over here on the sports microphone. Lots of high school sports is going on this week. The uh, Boy State Soccer Tournaments wrap up tonight in Omaha. Carney and Class A will try to do something that no other team has ever done from out in central and western Nebraska. No boys team outside the metro has ever won a state title. So they're trying to make history tonight. They were actually the first team to ever get to the finals, an outstate team to get to the finals a little more than 10 years ago. Also, district golf is going on. Those uh, events are finishing up. The kids should have a five-star day to try to fire some low scores there. And also the state baseball tournament is continuing on. Now, our weather is pretty nice now, but my guess is by uh, this weekend it'll turn south for folks who are headed to Omaha. It is a lot these days, isn't yeah, it? it? Yeah, uh, there's always something going on with the uh, weather for state track. Also coming up in sports, we'll talk about the NBA. Dominant performance last night with Golden State Warriors taking game one over Houston. In fact, after the game, TNT analyst Charles Barkley already declared this series <laughs> Over, right. he he had Golden State picked to win in five. He sent, now says Golden State in three. He does. That, yeah, that's how confident <laughs> Chuck is in the Good Warriors. For him. Yeah. <laughs> Charles is a kick. He's always fun to listen to, and always fun as well. Bob Brogan. Stocks are mostly lower. Bond yields rise, and as they say, when stocks are up, and when when stocks are up, buy bonds. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Uh, also, U.S. retail sales rose at a solid pace last month. U.S. home builders are feeling more confident about their sales prospects. Details on those stories and more coming up. As we always say, bye-bye and buy bonds This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network.
Paul Perkins has walked in and taken up his microphone position there for <laughs> Coolwood Repair. This is your regional ag weather. And get a couple of warmer days, maybe a little sunnier than we thought going in, huh? Yeah, exactly that area of low pressure that was expected to give us some several chances at thunderstorms. Looks like it's going to keep most of the action for the time being to the south, but we'll still feel the effects of it later in the week. Right uh-huh. now, though, just a beautiful day currently. Yeah. But there goes the weekend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a little <laughs> Sunday looks actually better than what we had last Sunday. Right, so, right. but but Saturday's right in the running with kind of that really exactly. Voice. You'll think you're living in Portland, day, right? exactly. Yeah, more of the wet conditions right. on the way as okay. we head towards Saturday. So, yeah, a few graduation receptions that may be held this weekend may be on the soggy side. Right now, though, just a beautiful day. Temperatures in the upper 60s and low 70s, and hardly any wind currently today through Thursday. Looks to be mainly sunny and seasonably warm. As we see some high pressure overhead, there will be some small chances of thunderstorms over northwest Kansas, northeast Colorado, both tonight into tomorrow as an area of low pressure tracks across the southern plains, but most of the action with this system well to our south. Thunderstorms likely for Thursday night through Saturday region-wide as an area of low pressure takes a more direct hit on the plains. Strong to severe thunderstorms are possible mainly to the west of Highway 281 or in west and central areas. Thursday night, we could see some hail and damaging winds as the main threat. Looks like our best potential of seeing some severe weather on Friday when there will be higher instability as that main storm system moves through the region and we start to see a cold front move through. That cold front Friday night into Saturday will keep the rain chances going through the day Saturday. Saturday's weather could be similar to what we saw this last weekend with those lingering clouds and some light rain still in the forecast. Sunshine expected to return Sunday with more seasonal temperatures when some high pressure takes control into early next week. In our long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures starting out at seasonal levels are near normal early next week. Warmer than normal temperatures, though, expected for Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the nation. The last half of next week through Memorial Day. So we now have a look at potentially what Memorial Day could look like. It doesn't look to be a very cool one. It actually looks to be warmer than normal. In late May, daytime highs in central Nebraska usually average in the low to mid-70s with overnight lows mostly right around 50. Above normal rainfall on the forecast for early next week in Nebraska and especially in Kansas. But late next week through the 28th or through Memorial Day, that outlook expecting for near normal to slightly above normal rain. Soil temperatures at 7 this morning at the 4-inch step. As cool as the upper 40s in the Panhandle. If you're along and west of a line from Norfolk to Lexington and McCook, the soil temperatures in the low to mid-50s. In the rest of south-central and eastern Nebraska, on into northwest and north-central Kansas, so soil temperatures right around the 60-degree mark. Soil temperatures as warm as the mid to upper 60s found over eastern and southern Kansas. Weather factors driving the market trade include active weather for the Midwest, Chances at beneficial rain for the Southern Plains and a weekend rain in the forecast for central Brazil. Scattered rain and thunderstorms will affect the nation's midsection the next few days with one to two inch totals possible across the Plains and upper Midwest. That might cause some planning delays in the Midwest, but right now there are no major concerns with planning progress since it is now ahead of normal in eastern Midwestern areas and rapidly increasing on the progress for planning in the western Midwest. More rain is needed, though, to support heading of winter wheat over western portions of the southern plains, and it looks like some may be on the way of some beneficial rain in the next seven days. Spring wheat planting progress in the northern plains is catching up rapidly after a poor start. Corn and soybean planting progress in the northern plains also behind normal, but that is starting to catch up due to favorable weather. 
in central Brazil. Hot and dry weather is depleting the soil moisture and increasing the stress to the second crop corn that's now in the pollinating and filling stage. Crop losses are expected. Some light to moderate rain may help a little later on this week. I've got to think that that planning up in the upper Midwest has got to sound like Indianapolis, <laughs> uh, the 500 going on there. No doubt. No, no, yeah, going gangbusters uh, right now, getting ab- it into the ground. Yep. Absolutely. Your uh, ag weather brought to you by Kuhlman Repair. And so we enjoy a couple of nice, fairly warm middle parts of the week here. I'm going to have to get my uh, mower out now while the going is good, though. Get, get, your, get your hay harvested on your lawn. That's exactly right. I, I agree. It's too bad that bluegrass isn't a cash crop like you were mentioning earlier. <laughs> that would be something, because I'd be pouring on the nitrogen then. But, boy, it's a pain right now. Uh, listen, folks, when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. Planting has almost caught up to average pace. I'm Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network as we take a midday look at your ag news. Farmers continued to put the pedal to the metal last week, pushing planting progress ahead another 23 percentage points and nearly catching up to the five-year average pace. According to the USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service weekly crop progress report that came out yesterday afternoon, NAS estimated that 62% of corn was planted as of Sunday, up from 39% from the previous week. Last week's planting progress lagged the five-year average pace of 63% by only one percentage point. Farmers made the most progress in Minnesota, where planting jumped a whopping 31 percentage points from 9% the previous week and 40% complete as of Sunday. South Dakota was the furthest behind last week with 21% of corn planted. Illinois and Indiana were the furthest ahead of average with Illinois corn crop 90% planted and Indiana's crop 73% planted. Corn emergence was at 28% Sunday and moved to slightly ahead of average pace of 27%. Meanwhile, soybean planting moved further ahead as well on that average pace. 35% of the crop was planted as of Sunday and 10% of soybeans were emerged ahead of 7% last year and also ahead of the average of 6%. Winter wheat was at 45% headed behind last year's 61% and winter wheat condition improved again slightly last week to 36% good to excellent. That's up two percentage points from the previous week's rating of 34% good to excellent. And sorghum was 32% planted as of Sunday compared to 29% last week, 32% last year, and 33% average. You can find the breakdown of individual states for crop progress and condition by visiting ruralradio.com. And the Farm Bill may have enough votes in the House of Representatives for passage. It's reported that the bill is expected to be brought to the House floor this week for consideration. Some senior Republicans think House Agriculture Chairman Mike Conway has the votes to pass the bill. That comes as Democrats in the House have been urged to vote against the legislation by Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi. Democrats remain opposed to stricter work requirements in SNAP as part of the Republican-drafted Farm Bill. The bill must first pass through the House Rules Committee, which will be considering some 100 amendments to the Farm Bill. The Rules Committee is scheduled to meet this evening. Conway met with President Trump last week, and Conway says the President supports his efforts, despite some concern that president the President would vetoed the bill titled the Agriculture and Nutrition Act of 2018. And Smithfield Foods has launched a third-party investigation into a North Carolina farm where animal rights activists are claiming abuse is taking place. 
Direct Action Everywhere claims in a new report completed after what it says was an eight-month investigation at the facility that pregnant sows continue to be confined in torturous gestation cells. The report comes despite Smithfield saying that it completed its 10-year transition to open sow housing at all of its sow farms worldwide at the end of 2017. In a statement, Smithfield says the animal rights group ignored the group-housed barns on the farm that they unlawfully broke into in order to deliberately miss lead viewers a smithfield official further says that the group claiming to be animal care advocates compromised the health and well-being of pigs when they trespassed onto farms violated our strict biosecurity policy that prevents the spread of disease and stole our animals the group claims to have rescued two piglets from a smithfield farm in utah and that's been a check of your midday ag news here on a tuesday of course for more market information ag news audio and video anytime visit ruralradio.com you're listening to Ag News on the Rural Radio Network. The 70th Annual Nebraska Auctioneers Convention and Conference is coming up this week, and the Rural Radio Network gets an exclusive look. I'm Clay Patton. Joining us to talk about that is the current Nebraska Association President, Miles Marshall of Marshall Land Brokers and Auctioneers. And, Miles, we thank you for joining us today. Give us a little bit of background and history on the Nebraska Auctioneers Association. Sure, you bet, Clay. Uh, of course, the Nebraska Auctioneers Association, uh, as members of all segments of the uh, economy here in Nebraska, uh, 70 years ago is when it began. This will be our 70th annual convention this year in Kearney. Uh, we have auctioneers throughout the agriculture, livestock auctioneers, machinery, land, also consumer goods. So we have really a variety of the uh, of different industries that auctions, auctioneers take part in across here, the state of Nebraska and, and surrounding states as well. Miles, give us a quick overview of what's all going to be happening. It's a three-day convention that starts this Friday and runs through Sunday. Kind of give us an overview of what's all going on. Well, exactly. Coming up this Friday, the first day of our convention on May 18th, we do a continuing education classes for those that require real estate licenses, and that'll take place on Friday. And then Friday evening is our fun auction when we uh, auctioneers, uh, the members, bring uh, items to sell, and those items are sold as a fundraiser for our association. Saturday, we kick off with the annual meeting as well as presenters throughout the day. Uh, On Saturday, we will have Leroy Van Dyke. He's a famous auctioneer and entertainer will be presenting to our group. Also, Scott Schumann is the president of the National Auctioneers Association. He'll be presenting as well. Aaron Trappis from Kansas will be talking on internet auction methods. And T. Marnie Voss will be presenting on humor in the workplace. That'll take place on Saturday. And then Saturday evening is our our banquet, our annual awards banquet. And following the banquet, we have something special this year. Leroy Van Dyke and his band will be performing on Saturday evening. Leroy Van Dyke, of course, well known for his hit song, The Auctioneer. Miles, can you give us any insight into what Leroy Van Dyke's going to be presenting on at the convention? Sure. He's going to be uh, giving a presentation on credibility and motivation in the auction business. Of course, he's been around the auction business his entire life. Uh, as you mentioned, the auctioneer song was written about his relative, uh, Ray Sims, a very successful auctioneer that Leroy uh, was motivated to uh, write the song, The Auctioneer. Miles, you've had the honor to serve the Nebraska Auctioneers Association this year as president, and before the interview, we were talking about one of the highlights of your year as president was hiring a new executive director of the association. Talk to us more about the new executive director. Sure. 
Exactly. We've taken on a new executive director here in recent months. Uh, Diane Duran is our executive director. She's from Rising City, Nebraska. She has experience uh, with uh, uh, management of uh, trade associations, and she's done a super job so far. Actually, it's been a pretty good learning curve just to jump in and take over in the mid mid year like this. But uh, I'd have to uh, say that Diane has, has done a fantastic job. Hardworking gal, and we're really looking forward to introducing her to the membership. Uh, this coming weekend at our convention. That again, Miles Marshall of Marshall Land Brokers and Auctioneers. Miles serving as the current president of the Nebraska Auctioneers Association and their 70th annual convention coming up this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in Kearney, Nebraska. It's going to be a great time, as Miles was saying, a lot of great speakers, including the one and only Mr. Leroy Van Dyke. When you want the latest in ag news and market information, plus local and special events like the Auctioneers of Convention, keep it tuned to the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network. Time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, Omaha is the site of the Class A and Class B Boys State Soccer Championships tonight. In Class B, South Sioux City plays Elkhorn South for the title at 5. Carney takes on west side of the Class A matchup, and head coach Scott Steinbrook hopes the Bearcats can make history. Class A, anyway, nobody outside of a metro area has ever won a state championship. We were excited to be the first team to get the chance when we got beat. A year or two later, Grand Island had that opportunity, and now here, here we are again um, in 2018, 10 years after we did it in 2009, having another chance at it. That matchup tonight starts at 7.30. District golf wraps up today across the state, and the NSAA State Baseball Tournament continues in classes A and B. The Nebraska men's basketball team will once again be a part of the Gavit tip-off games this fall as schools from the Big Ten battle the Big East. NU will reportedly host Seton Hall in one of those matchups. Dates and times have yet to be announced. Cleveland Cavaliers are putting their 25-point loss to Boston in Game 1 of the NBA's Eastern Conference Finals out of their mind as they head into Game 2 tonight. That's because they're more familiar with LeBron James' ability to bounce back after big losses. The Celtics starters scored 88 points in Game 1 while shooting 58% from the floor and knocking down 10 of 21 three-pointers. Cleveland starters, on the other hand, scored just 46 points. They shot 33% from the field and were just 3 of 9 from behind the arc. Well, last night, Golden State took Game 1 of the NBA's Western Conference Finals as Kevin Durant did his thing, scoring 37 points as Golden State knocked off the Rockets 119-106. Game 2 of that series is set for tomorrow night. Two of baseball's biggest power hitters are on display when Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees visit Bryce Harper and the Washington Nationals in interleague play. Judge is knocked in 14 runs during a seven-game RBI streak. Harper homered Sunday night to help Washington finish a four-game sweep of Arizona. Both teams have been rolling. New York is 19-3 in its last 22, while the Nationals have won 13-15. And Serena Williams' coach says she will play in the French Open, which starts in just a couple of weeks. It would be her first major tournament since returning to action following a 14-month maternity leave. The 23-time Grand Slam champion returned to the tour briefly this year, but she withdrew from last week's Madrid Open and this week's Italian Open. That is a look at sports. Have a great afternoon. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly clear skies tonight, lows in the low 50s. I'm Dave Schroeder. Police say a skimming device found at a South Lincoln ATM claimed more than 40 victims. 
Lancaster County Sheriff Terry Wagner says his office has taken two reports related to the skimmers, and Lincoln police have taken 44 reports. It's not clear how much money has been lost. The device was found at a Union Bank ATM and has been removed. Skimming devices are attached to ATMs and gas pump credit card readers so criminals can steal card numbers and password information, as well as create new cards and make cash withdrawals or purchases from the bogus cards. A 26-year-old Bellevue man has been given 15 years for producing child pornography. Federal investigators say Nicholas Alford was sentenced Monday in U.S. District Court in Omaha. He must serve five years of supervised release after he leaves prison. Authorities say he persuaded a 13-year-old to send dozens of sexually explicit images to his instant messenger mobile app account. Strong thunderstorms that brought tornadoes, hail, and rain to southern and southeast Kansas so far appear to have left behind minimal damage. No injuries reported. The National Weather Service says four tornadoes touched down in Kansas Monday night. Two tornadoes formed northwest of Arkansas City and another near Maple City in Cowley County. A fourth tornado touched down in Chautauqua County. Meteorologist Eric Schminke said that the sheds were damaged in Butler County, but that was caused by strong winds and not a tornado. Large hail was reported in western and southeast Kansas. Thunderstorms brought substantial rain. Chanute set a 24-hour rainfall record of 2.9 inches. Eola recorded 2.3 inches. Forecasters say more storms are possible into the weekend. A new Kansas law will grant cash compensation to wrongfully convicted residents for time served behind bars following three high-profile releases of three innocent defendants in three years. Governor Jeff Collier signed legislation that says if a guilty verdict is overturned, the person who is wrongfully convicted is eligible for $65,000 for each year of incarceration. The law takes effect in July. And most young adults haven't given much thought to their own needs as they get older, but a significant number are already providing long-term care for older loved ones. A poll finds that caregivers under 40 put in fewer hours than their older counterparts, but are more likely to feel stressed out by the experience. Storm Center coverage, always live, local. Catch it on air and Twitter, Facebook, and online at krvn.com. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Alex Wojcicki, joined on the phone today by Dylan Share, all the way from Canada. Dylan, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So, Dylan, you did not come from an ag background, but you are earning a degree in ag business, and you're the producer of a documentary called Before the Plate. Before we dive into the documentary, talk a little bit more about your background and why you thought this project was a must. Yeah, I grew up in the city, basically around Toronto. And with that, you know, as a kid and a young uh, young person growing up, I had a really kind of negative view of, of modern agriculture and modern farming fairly evident that I thought I knew what was going on and, uh, you know, all the documentaries that I'd seen in the past made it pretty clear that there were some issues. But, you know, as I went to school for agriculture, because that was an interest of mine um, and was the career path I wanted to go down and started actually working on farms for the first time and talking to farmers for the first time, it became very evident that, you know, the claims in the city weren't exactly the way it was going uh, out in the real world. And so you decided to create a film called Before the Plate. Can you tell us what this is about? 
Yeah, so I actually got the idea while I was working on a dairy farm and I was, you know, cleaning up the milking parlor and I was just really proud of, of how clean and, and spotless the whole place was. And uh, I went, you know, to grab lunch and I pulled out my phone and a, a video from an animal activist group came up and, you know, talking about how abusive the dairy industry was. And they were showing some shots that I knew were completely out of context and things that just weren't true. And uh, I was just kind of said, you know, I need to try and, and help communicate the farmer's story. And the only difference I thought was, you know, all my friends have been trying to do the same thing, but it's very difficult to break out of your network um, because all their friends were farmers, right? So for me, growing up in the city, I had a large network of urban friends and connections. And I thought, well, maybe if I post a little video and make an explanation, it will have a better impact. A very long day and too much coffee is proof that uh, you can think you can make a feature-length documentary and actually go ahead and do it. You know, I, I'm sure I can speak for a lot of people. When we do the whole farm-to-food talk, it's often to younger students, elementary and, and urban high school. Obviously, your target audience is adults. What challenges have you faced when trying to communicate to adults? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And, you know, before the plate, we try to keep very more light and entertaining. Amazingly, we've received very little pushback from the public as of yet. Now, it doesn't mean that there isn't going to be some in the future. I anticipate there will be. But basically, as a society, I think, generally speaking, you know, we only get the headlines, right? We only think of the first step. If someone says, well, I only want to buy meat that doesn't have, you know, raised without the use of antibiotics, and I go, okay, well, what happens if an animal gets sick? They kind of stop for a second and go, oh, wait, I never really thought about that. So then the question then becomes, how can we proceed with the most responsible practice going forward and make sure that we're not overusing these solutions, but also maintaining their, their effectiveness, right? And I think the majority of the population kind of gets that. So that is the method we're taking as a very um, logical approach and also just putting a lot of questions back on the consumer. You know, what if we didn't do this? Um, what is the alternative? And have you really thought that far down the food chain yet? So when you reach out to these livestock producers, these row crop farmers, these specialty crop farmers, what is their reaction when you explain your project to them? It, it's been amazing, and I, I can't thank everybody enough. You know, so far, the the one line I got back is, thank you for doing this, which is pretty crazy to think that as a city kid, I'm helping something for them. But I never even understood the impact of it. A lot of times, I'll get into a conversation with a farmer or I'll, you know, give a speech at an organization and there'll be a lineup of people after, afterwards saying, thank you so much. Thank you for telling our story. I mean, we've had some companies that we want to have in the film from like a processing perspective, let's say, or some larger uh, animal operations that, you know, have been a bit skeptical because obviously they don't know who I am. And when I say I'm bringing a camera crew, they have some concerns about how we're going to portray the operation. But I mean, all in all, once people are familiar with the project uh, and know what our end objective is, then the response has been very welcoming. And Dylan, I think a lot of times the the middlemen in the farm-to-food process is missed. You know, the processors, the packers, the truckers, even the grocery store employees are all imperative to this process. How have you incorporated them into your film? So as the title suggests before the plate, we're taking one plate of food and following each ingredient back to the farms they came from in kind of a reverse order, actually. We start at the farm and then follow it back to the restaurant. You're, you're exactly right. Not only forgotten about is one thing, but I also think that the whole industry is kind of mushed together. In a consumer's mind, at first glance, the person or the organization or the company that they get their food from also was in charge of producing it in their eyes, especially with the larger food chains. Dylan, when I watched this trailer, I seriously had chills, and, and when I watched all the other videos. So for others who are interested in this, where can they find more of your work? 
our Facebook page uh, and our Instagram page are primarily where we try and post the most and get the most updates out there. So if people want to see our videos, our trailers, and so on, um, they can go on Facebook or Instagram simply before the plate. Also on YouTube, if you type in before the plate, we have a couple teasers and clips up there. And then the other thing we have, which is really cool, if you want to go on your desktop and go to www.beforetheplate.com, we actually have a virtual plate that you can deconstruct and click on ingredients and we'll take you back and show you little clips of the farms along the way. Before I let you go, Dylan, do you have anything else for us? Yeah, again, from the, to the farming community is, is all I can say. Thank you for the support. And also, primarily speaking to an American audience, is Before the Plate is a very Canadian-centric film just because we were trying to focus and that's all we had access to as a couple of students. You know, we couldn't really go across the States or across America and, and get that story. But just because we're telling our story proudly, you know, I'm looking forward to hopefully having an opportunity to maybe tell an American story proudly. Well, thank you so much, Dylan, for joining us. That's been Dylan Scher, a young man without an agriculture background who decided to produce a film called Before the Plate, which follows the journey of food from the farm to the table. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Back on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, about the livestock futures. Joe. Yeah, another down day in the uh, futures. Uh, both cattle and hogs posting uh, triple-digit losses. Uh, basically, over in the cattle, a uh, uh, little bit of fear uh, from yesterday carried over to the opening this morning. And uh, that fear ended up with dollar uh, sixteen being traded in uh, Kansas and Nebraska. That uh, kept the pressure on throughout the remainder of the day. Cutouts were a little lower on the choice uh, at noon. Uh, select was up, but uh, it was all about the uh, cash trade. Uh, One sixteen, pretty good drop in the, in the cash uh, on a Tuesday to begin the week. Uh, obviously, that's spilled over into the feeders also. Uh, corn uh, has turned the corner and uh, was higher, and that didn't help them at all. So, uh, uh, But I really do believe it was the uh, cash trade that uh, uh, surprised everyone. Uh, over in the hogs, cash was actually a little bit higher, but June takes over as the uh, lead contract with uh, a pretty good uh, uh, premium to it. Uh, about a ten dollar premium, uh, so uh, and that's where we ended up. About ten dollar premium, even after being down uh, almost a buck and a half. So uh, the cutouts there too were lower. So just ended up being a uh, very uh, difficult day for in the livestock futures. Thanks, Joe. You can reach Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities eight hundred three two eight zero one three four. That's 800-328-0134 for Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Everybody has a unique way of getting started in agriculture, and for some... It's as simple as somebody asking. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. The Nebraska Bankers Association chairman-elect is Alan Emshoff. He comes from the First State Bank of Loomis. He talks about that first conversation and how he ended up down the road of banking because of agriculture. So I brought in my hog check and the uh, the banker uh, 
brought me back to his office and offered me a position in the bank. And so as I got more involved in the, in the bank there, I decided, you know, this is, this is really a, a great job uh, that I would really like to learn more about and, and uh, try and do more in. So I went back uh, and got my four-year degree at Doan College in, in, in business administration and uh, just uh, went on from there, left the farm in uh, 1993 and worked at the First National Bank in Schuyler for about four or five years and then decided I still wanted to raise my family in a small town so moved to Exeter um, and was a vice president and loan officer there and so in, uh, that was in 1997, raised my family in Exeter, uh, a town of about 700 people uh, so I've always been in small towns and uh, and uh, just kind of uh, advanced my way up through the ranks at the, the small town bank in Exeter. So having that, that ag background, it's got to give you some benefits as well when you're, when you're talking to producers, when they're, they're coming into the bank to talk about what's happening now or, or where they see themselves in the future. Well, sure. Uh, corn is still corn and uh, cattle are still cattle. And so I understand that part. The technology is, is flown by me. So I really rely on my producers to help me with the technology and the, the new chemicals and the new uh, uh, products that are out there. Uh, but yeah, the, the background in, uh, in production agriculture is, is huge and be able, being able to relate to our customers. What do you think is the feel right now in rural Nebraska? Oh, I think they're, we're all nervous a little bit. Uh, there's, some, uh, there's some real, well, some slight opportunity out there, but we're real nervous about the liquidity. There's still a lot of equity, uh, although we don't want to use that. That's kind of the safety net. But we've seen a lot of liquidity leave the balance sheet, and uh, that raises some concern for us. Marketing is going to be key this year. Uh, just as Dave said, that uh, we've been encouraging our producers to work with some professional marketers to uh, be on top of the game. They're, they're busy uh, trying to produce the crop and sometimes forget about uh, picking up the phone and calling the elevator uh, to market the grain. So if they've got somebody helping them, it's, it's really advantageous to them, I think. I'm curious because producers are closely watching what's happening with, with trade, with NAFTA, with everything else from a banking perspective. How close the tabs are you guys keeping on what that means to, to rural Nebraska producers? Well, it's huge. Uh, it can mean everything in our markets. Uh, the markets can turn in a hurry just on some uh, piece of news that might uh, hit the news, news waves uh, just in a matter of uh, any minute. So the, the markets can really change in a hurry. And so, um, you know, that's really outside of what anybody can really fathom in, in their marketing plan, what might happen there. But uh, being uh, proactive and, uh, and uh, marketing when there's some profitability rather than waiting for that next penny or nickel or whatever it might be is, uh, is, is huge in, you know, farming for a profit. That's what, what they need to do. And I think uh, more and more producers are really um, thinking that way. Uh, don't, don't hit the home run. Let's get a bunch of singles. Chairman-elect Alan Emshoff. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Uh, Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. We're going to talk with John Payne, who is the Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. What did you think of that late comeback? 
<laughs> yeah, you know, we're all searching the wires here about what exactly is going on. I mean, uh, big vol pop in soybeans, especially August beans, saw uh, volatility calls really get expensive there into the close. We covered all of its daily losses, closed up two and a half in corn, right back above four dollars July. So you got to be pretty excited here if you're a, a corn bull, especially given what's going on in the outside markets. Uh, a lot of good things uh, from today's trade. I think you can kind of hang your hat on as we go into the middle part of the week. Looking at the dollar index. Uh, I, I guess more more or less you could just say this has been one for the books, I guess. Well, yeah, and I, I, you know, the dollar strength is, I guess you could look at it two ways. You could say the dollar strength is something that the, the markets are going to have to get over here. Uh, in, in the case of the row crop grains, is, which we talk about, you know, that, that strength is there, and we're even rallying, and we're rallying in the face of heavy, heavy selling from uh, from the emerging market currencies like the Russian ruble and the Brazilian real and especially the Argentinian currency, um, all of those have been heavily sold here the last two weeks. I think the real was at a two-year high today. Um, the ten-year Treasury for the U.S. dollar was at a, a seven-year high today, and all all the while we're trading at four dollars. So uh, it's it's a good sign for corn. I think you know these are all headwinds that I think should keep us somewhat sideways in the short term, but the balance sheet for corn is undeniably bullish, uh, both from the globe and from the U.S., uh, and the replacements that, that are going to be essentially competing with us over the next six months to a year are well above where U.S. is. So I think breaks are, are to be bought. Again, when things are quiet, I would be recommending buying calls. I think having these kind of volatility positions on as we go into the later part of the summer when it's hot uh, are going to help you market, and that's the goal here, to market well in a summer where you get good prices. That's not always going to be the case. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. DanielsAgMarketing.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.